Welcome back to Diaries of the Wild Ones. Competition time, guys. Thanks to Wild Earth, we have a $600 summer adventure pack up for grabs. If you have a story or know of anyone who has a story, we want it. Go to my Instagram page, Diaries of the Wild Ones, and click the link in the bio. Or go to the competition page on wildearth.com.au slash competition to enter. It's easy, guys. Upload an audio file or type out the general gist of what story you have to come on the podcast and let me give you some adventure gear. We want the listeners to interact with us. Everyone has a story, and I would love to meet you and be able to share your story. Now, if you like this episode, please feel free to rate it on Apple Podcasts or share it on your social media or just tell your mum about it. It just helps me out so, so much. And also a big thank you to Free Brewing Co. Organic Preservative Free Beer, BWS and Dan Murphy's Silver Can Big Black Letters Saying Free. It's a no-brainer, guys. So this is the episode that you guys have been waiting for, part three of the yacht story. Now, if you haven't heard part one or part two, that's okay because this is its own story by itself. Now, this story was recorded a year ago as a joint collab with me and the brother Hayden Quinn, but I wanted to wait to release it until I could publish the first couple of stories about owning a yacht and sailing around Indonesia. Me being the host of a podcast, it's hard to have someone interview me for my own stories. So I went down to Sydney to meet up with Hayden Quinn for, for his podcast, The Roving Mike, and got him to interview me as a collab episode. Now, if you don't know who Hayden is, he is one busy bloke. He is the master chef sensation who has been featured on several seasons now. He is the host of the Channel 10 TV show, Taste of Australia, and he also had his own podcast called The Roving Mike. Now, I want to take this opportunity to really thank Hayden because he is the reason why Diaries of the Wild Ones took off in the first place. He helped me with everything, what gear to use, how to edit, how to do a podcast. As busy as the guy is, he always took the time to help me and get Diaries of the Wild Ones off the ground. So Hayden, mate, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, brother. Just thank you so much. You're a top bloke and a great mentor. All right, enjoy this one, guys. G'day, guys, and welcome back to The Roving Mike. It's your host, Hayden Quinn, and today the podcast has a little bit of a different structure. Well, I guess it's sort of different. It's a bit of a collab between myself and fellow podcast host, Aaron Shanks, he's the man behind Diaries of the Wild Ones, which is an amazing storytelling podcast which visits and ticks off incredible adventurers, people doing crazy things every day, near-death experiences. Just if you think it's possible or you think it's not possible, a lot of people on Aaron's podcast have probably done it, including himself. He's an adventurer. He's a sailor, he's a surfer, he's a mountain guy, he's done things that most people could only ever dream of and I'm very excited to do this joint podcast with him today because it's going to sit on the roving mic and it's also going to sit on your podcast as well, brother. the wild ones. That's it. Well, welcome to the show. Man, I am so stoked to be here (laughs) and I'm like... Being down in Manly, what an amazing venue, what an amazing way to connect with you and like just sit down and like be able to like learn off you for one and also tell some stories and just have an amazing conversation. That's what it's all about.
I'm going to press record. Yeah, let's go for it. Recording. There we are. The red light is flashing. The numbers are ticking over. Yeah, there we go. And we're on. And we're on. We're live. And let's go live. Um, so you want me to just do my intro? Yeah, dude, you do it however you want to do it. This okay. is an experience for me to learn off you. Oh, don't go like that. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like I'm soaking up everything in. Um, well, number one, find a place out of the wind. That was the first step. That was the first <laughs> challenge. It's like, okay, how does Hayden do these? But now we're at the cor- Manly Corner, and it's absolutely cracker. It's The sun is out. It's blowing offshore. There's a tiny little wave. There's a little grommet here. He's bouncing up. He's Dude, this is actually amazing. Down here being... Okay, so I haven't spent... I've spent hardly any time in, in Sydney, right? Mm. And I've come down. There's so many amazing people people down here. And being in Manly, like, the place is just buzzing. 100%. It's wild. That's the best thing about, I guess, Sydney in general is when you go away and you come back, It's it's got energy, it's got vibrance, it's got all these things, but it's also super clean, super clear, surrounded by nature. You're on the beach, you're in the... You know, you're... In the bush, it's all very close. Dude, I, I like it's it. It's actually beautiful. Actually, a couple of days ago, where we are here in Manly, so we're the south of Manly, we went around the rock pools around mm. this headland. Mm. We climbed down some cliffs. There was no one there. We had these beautiful rock pools to ourselves. Yeah, nice. I probably shouldn't blow the lid on that. Don't go. It's actually terrible around there. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> you, no gotta, one would like you have, it. Did you have to climb down ropes? Like rope, yeah, exactly. rope ladders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where the, all the fishermen and that go down there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And there was caves. Yeah, yeah. Like, went into some ca- it was absolutely amazing. And I was sitting there. I was mind struck. I was like, literally, my mind was blown going wow like the city like how yeah. beautiful is this place yeah you're also it's all so close it's accessible yeah. it's amazing it's kind of funny when um you try and take a park or you're trying to like merge lanes but in the city people don't let you in <laughs> that's yeah, like the, i drive the a agro, big <laughs> the yeah. agro is high in in sydney i um i drive a big troop carrier uh, big land cruiser troop carrier that's not a city car man i've been battling i've been having a lot of trouble but hey um i wanted to actually ask you actually first of all i wanted to thank you man and this is a really great place to thank you because you actually mentored me for diaries of the wild ones for my own podcast and going into that it was something that i really wanted to do and my friends are really pushing me into it but i had no idea how to even go about it i had i was very vulnerable you know doing a podcast putting yourself out there so yeah. much and I actually wanted to say, I couldn't have done it without you. Oh, thanks, mate. Because not yeah. only did you give me the tips and hints, you also gave me the confidence just to go for it and just do it. Yeah. And um, and it's really paid off. So through that mentoring, it's like, um, it's allowed me to do something that I'm extremely enjoying. Mm. I'm meeting all these amazing people. Um, I'm hearing all these amazing stories. But the biggest thing is that I'm getting so inspired. Yeah. And it's like, it literally has been probably one of the best moves I've ever done in my own life is doing this podcast. Yeah. I, I always say, and, and this is sort of how I describe my show, it's like a, it's a real selfish pursuit because you get to talk to really cool people all the time and off the back of talking to those really cool people, you get inspired, you get life insights, you get all these things, you get it face-to-face. You know, fortunately, everyone can listen to what we're doing. Everyone yeah. can tune in and listen, but we get to do it like in person, which is yeah. a whole nother level. And it's really, it's Ooh. really fucking cool. When you're doing something you enjoy and you like, you want to share it. That's yeah. just human nature. Yeah. And what I really like, especially with how our life is and how um, busy it is, mm. how busy life is now and how disconnected we are to things, you literally put time aside where you can truly connect with someone one-on-one. Mm. It's like right now, as soon as we put these yeah. headphones on, you and I, it's just you and I in this yeah. conversation. Nothing else matters. So you really get to sit down mm. and learn mm. or like hear someone's story. Yeah. It is. You're, it's so true. It's very, 
unless, you know, best mates, your missus, your boyfriend, whoever it may be, it's very infrequent where you sit down for like, we're probably going to sit here for like an hour, hour and a half, whatever it may be, and actually have a conversation with someone, even though obviously it's a bit of a forced conversation because we planned it, we're going to be here at this certain, you know, all that sort of stuff, but... It's still yeah, but taking time. It's like, dude, come down and let's just talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which brings me, I actually, I was pretty interested in how did you get to be you? <laughs> like, like, I know you're a lifeguard and you're a chef and you love to travel. Yeah. But how did this all come about? Um, well, I grew up. We're sitting here at Manly and we're looking back towards sort of Long Reef in the distance there. Um, I grew up in DY, which is a couple of beaches around from Manly, and basically just grew up like any sort of Northern Beaches kid on the beach. Started, did clubbies, surfing, then went into lifeguarding. And for me, I don't know, I just had a pretty awesome family life. You know, my sister's here taking photos, as always. She's Yeah, thanks, Maddie. <laughs> become a bit of a regular on the podcast. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just I, I'm someone that very much followed my dreams, followed my gut, and as bad as it sounds, just did what I wanted to do. You and selfish my, asshole. Yeah, so <laughs> selfish. And my, you know, my parents and family have always been super supportive. It's not like, oh, you need to go and get a job and do this, or you need to be like a carpenter, like your old man, or you need to work in an office, like you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I just sort of followed my dreams, and it hasn't been a normal life. Yeah. Like you know, same like you. We don't, I don't have like a house or a this or a that or a family yet or kids. I'm 33. It's it's been a bit all over the shop, but. It's been pretty awesome. But do you want to know, through the podcast Diaries of the Wild Ones, um, meeting all these interesting people with life stories and all these inspiring people, the one thing that I've found that connects everyone is exactly what you just said, right? Is like, you just followed your dreams. And it's all these people, the one thing that I notice that connects everyone that I talk to is that they all let fear motivate them. They all understand. It's like, hey, I can follow my dreams. And it's like I've suddenly realized through the podcast that it has this one message that's constantly coming through, which I didn't even plan. I didn't plan to put this message out there because yeah. um, I was just putting something out I enjoyed, like mm-hmm. conversations. But the actual message I've realized, especially in the last week, with some of the conversations I've had, is that the message is you're allowed to go follow your dreams if you want Mm. like i know it's so hard for some people especially in financial circumstances or whatever but it's still like in any circumstance in life you're choosing your outlook on it you're choosing if you want to be in a positive mind frame or a negative mind frame you're choosing and i have friends that say to me like i hate my job and i just want to go travel and it's like we'll just do that you're choosing to do the job you don't like you're choosing not to go travel or you're choosing to not live an adventurous life it's like because you're scared of being outside the box and all these people that I meet and I'm talking to, that's just the common factor through all of them. Mm. And it's that's the thing that's so inspiring. And it's like, so if I can actually do that or you can do that through mm. talking to people, it's like it's like job done. Yeah. It's just like you, if one person gets up and goes, you know what? I'm going to do this or do that. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. go do it, man. You know, like I'm going to go do what I want to do. It's like you can. Yeah, it's you big can, win. Yeah. Big win. So how did you get into chefing, but? For me, well, I'm not technically a chef. I, I've not done any... You know how, like, say, you know, there's a labourer and then there's a carpenter. Like, I'm like the labourer. So I've never gone to U, never gone to TAFE, never done a course, never done a cert- certificate. I just fell into food through... Well, my mum was a... My mum was a home economist and she taught cookery and whatnot at TAFE. Yeah. So she was always cooking epic food, always like, you know, when you're just around someone that's doing something really well, you, you pick it up, you know, you learn from them. I was always a bit very curious yeah so i'd always just be hanging around in the kitchen bothering my mom 
you know, can I do this? Can I do that? Trying to help, trying to do all these little bits and pieces. But um, I guess the real love for food really started when I was old enough to, I guess, have to look after myself, you know. I'm someone that I love good food because it fuels your body. It's not just like, I'm not just eating shit because I need a, you know, I'm hungry. Yeah. I'm just, I'm eating food because it's interesting, it's tasty, it's flavorful, there's science behind it. And then it really exploded when I went overseas. You know, I started traveling basically, and I said to you just before, I'm like you, I've been traveling since I was 18 years old. You know, I finished school, took a year off before uni, went over to America, lived in the US. Before that, we went to thailand where else do we go i kind of remember this was like 15 years ago it feels so feels yeah. so close but it still feels so long ago but so i went over there then came back did sort of three years uni and then just kept traveling after that you know all around the world did central america done europe a number of times asia and then and then i've the whole food thing really kicked off so did you use your degree at all have you used um so i did marine biology at university and I used it for a short period after I finished, but I got drawn back into traveling. Yeah. And so then... Basically, you followed your passion. Yeah, I did. And it's funny because I was lifegu- I've lifeguarded my whole life and I still work on the beach here on the northern beaches during the summertime just because I love it so much. But there was a while there where lifeguarding is one of those jobs where people are like, oh, fuck, when are you going to get a real job, mate? Yeah. And you're like, well, what's not real? I get paid. I'm outside. I help people out. And then that yeah. doubt gets in your mind. You think you should be earning money and like you live on the northern beaches and it's really expensive and you've got to be able to, you know, you want a house and a kids and all that sort of stuff. So I actually went and worked in construction industry. That's went, what I do sometimes. I keep going back to it. I'm yeah. Trying to, I'm trying not to. Yeah. It's just like I, um, I worked in like construction management for a mate's uh, dad's company. And unfortunately for him, that company, I was working in the office, like contract administrator. And unfortunately for him, his company went into liquidation because of, you know, whatever reasons. You know, building games really tough, as anyone that works in building industry would know. Company went into liquidation on the Tuesday. I was on a flight to Central America on Thursday. You're kidding. <laughs> I was like, it was perfect timing yeah. for me, but for obviously it was terrible for them. But yeah, I was like, this is my chance to get out. Yeah. And I did. I went straight to Central America. I met up with my best buddy who I always, always traveled with, Dan Payne. And we did a couple of months just through Central America. How was um, it? Just, it was amazing. It's just lo- oh, it just—it's like I was saying this to a friend yesterday about traveling. Right? It's like right now, life through the podcast. Right now, like I'm trying to build a house in Crescent Head. Um, undecided. I've if driven I should- past your pad, eh? Have you? Yeah, dude, it is amazing. How amazing! It's a great idea to live in Crescent Head. Yeah. Just, it's just one of those things that I'm there. I'm off grid. I'm in the bush. I've got two motorbikes, a surfboard racks on it. I go surf by myself. I'm just hanging out in nature, man. And it's just like, every time I'm there, it's just like my slice of heaven. And I just think to myself, what a good freaking idea. Like, yeah. this is such, I'm so stoked with the decision that I made. Yeah. You know what I mean? But right now, I, um, I've just been overseas the last 10 months and I got home and I needed to get some solid cash. So I went up to central Queensland and did a construction job for six weeks. Mm. And it's really put my life in turmoil because it was such easy money. But I had to give up so much of my mental state or my own self, my, my beliefs for it. Mm. And I've got this podcast and all these other opportunities and keep getting invited on all these trips. And now I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, do I go and do a couple more jobs and sacrifice opportunities and the stuff that the podcast is doing for me? Or do I just go for it? And I just got invited on this boat um, yesterday, actually, to, to sail from Tonga to New Zealand in a few weeks' time. And I'm sitting there and I'm... And I'm 
I'm just sitting there and I'm like, why am I so conflicted? I'm sitting there going, <laughs> the practical mind to what I, to my adventurous mind. And like, it's like the universe is just telling me, it's like saying like, look, it's okay. Yeah. You don't have to go work construction. It's like, you can make it work in other ways, you know? Yeah. But it's just, it's that fear. Like even like I was saying before, like we're promoting and inspiring, but even, even myself with the, the travels that I do, I still hit these crossroads where there's so much fear sometimes mm. and I have to, I have to go into that fear. And right now I'm about to do that and it's nerve wracking and yeah. it's scary, but I'm like, you know what, let's just let the adventure just take me. Yeah. You know what I mean? These, these trips keep getting offered to me. Stop saying no and just say yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? hundred percent. Well, and so talking about the podcast, Diaries of the Wild Ones, is that basically what it's about? It's about conversations with people like yourself who are willing to put themselves out there and have an adventurous life. Yeah, okay, so Diaries of the Wild Ones, right, it's just something that I realized who I am as a person as you're growing up. Like, I'm 32 now, and one thing, I'm, I know I've understood and accepted myself as who I am as a person, right? I think, yeah. it's, just, I think it's just self-growth. Mm-hmm. You just grow into yourself, right? Now, I've been a surfer my whole life, yep. and I, can't, I came to terms with that I'm not going to be the next Mick Fenning, right? <laughs> and I'm like, what do I have? Okay, so I'm a ridiculous human being, right? I talk everyone's ear off. I do crazy... I don't realize that I even do crazy things, but I just <laughs> I go on adventures, and I didn't realize traveling, because I've been traveling the last 13 years, and I didn't realize that I do it so raw to other people. Yeah. And so, like... For instance, and I'm going to tell you a story in a second, but like my travels have been made up of like just re- basically, I think my level of comfortability is just different to other people. So I'm happy to sleep on the street. I'm happy to sleep on beaches. I'm happy to just to do. I love doing challenges and challenging myself. So I do a lot of survival trips. I do a lot of things where I just get dropped on islands with no food or no water and just my spear gun or just like um, I recently on my last trip I was in the Arctic surfing for three months and would have been a bit chilly yeah and I decided <laughs> I just wanted to cross the mountains I just wanted to know what it was like to be a mountaineer and cross the mountains in the north and I picked a route that no one had done and I just I ended up getting sp- sponsored by this company getting help from this company to teach me the mountains and I just went and built snow caves and crossed the mountains by myself and like at the time that no, I was yeah. doing it, it was just literally what I was doing. And everyone's messaging me going, you're fucking crazy. What the? And I'm not looking at myself like I was crazy at all. I just wanted an adventure. Yeah. And so all I've done is I've realized, right, the more people I meet around the world, the more people that I, the more it inspires me to do that stuff that I want to do. And I've, underst- I've come to the terms with myself that I'm just different in that way, that I'm just mm. wired in that way. And all I'm doing is connecting with people that are wired the same way as me. Right. You know? That's cool. That's true. So hey? I didn't realize that. I didn't realize how far out of the box I was. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like I'm just doing things. The people that I'm hanging out with are doing these wild stuff, and then when I come home, people are like, "Dude, you're fucking insane." <laughs> oh wait, am I allowed to swear on? Yeah, yeah, swear. Yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, "Dude, you are out of." The, and I'm like, I didn't realize. So, so basically, actually, I wanted to tell you a story. Yeah, tell me a story. That's what this is all about. I. Yeah. I've had, like, we do a lot of, like, on the Roby Mike, we do a lot of chatting and, and podcasting, but I feel like a lot of the time it's a lot of questions. But if you just tell me a story, that'll make my job nice and easy. Yeah, make it, yeah. Okay. Put it all on me. I'm keen to hear it. You've <laughs> got me intrigued now. I'm sure everyone out there listening is um, is intrigued as well. And I'll just do a little shout-out for people that are listening before you tell your story. If you're listening on your phone, you've got your podcast player, I'll tell you what you do. Screenshot it. Post it on your Instagram stories. Tag Diaries of a Wild Ones. Well, it's Aaron oh, it's underscore Aaron, Sorry, sorry yeah. yeah. So tag Aaron, tag myself, and then we'll, sh- we'll reshare it on our, um, 
our interview so that other people can have a listen as well. Yeah, I decided to, when I first did the, the Instagram, I put it as Diaries of the Wild Ones, and then my mate Haydar in Iceland um, convinced me to change it back to my name. Mm-hmm. Um, he said because, and it, it actually makes more sense, he's like, you are the brand, it's mm. you, and then Diaries of the Wild Ones comes under mm. you. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. So I've just kept it as Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, underscore shanks, like mm-hmm. lamb shanks. Yeah, yummy. Okay, so yeah, the story I want to tell you, this is the thing, I have all these people tell me stories, but I never get to um, put my stories out there, and there's, so I've just had so many wild adventures, and um, one of the adventures I wanted, to, I wanted to bring up with you that I wanted to tell you about is basically a few years ago, so me and two of my best mates own a yacht. Nice. Now, the idea came about, because we were living in Western Bala, working in surf camps over there. and um, Which is in Indonesia? In Indonesia. Yep. And we are getting... It was really raw times in my life. Like, I remember um, sleeping in hammocks on beaches. Like, just basically, there was never anyone around. We used to call it jungle fever. We'd spend a couple months in the jungle just surfing, just me and the boys, just surfing, camping on beaches, just hanging out. And then once we started getting... We used to, once we, our minds started going would call it jungle fever and we needed it would go to bali for a week no ta- not take any surfboards just party just meet people have a good time have a conversation back. with someone else other than your two yeah. mates you're hanging out with exactly. yeah <laughs> so we had this idea we're like fuck we want let's go let's go to an island kind of like uh, i think it was timmy turner that did it we had this idea to go to an island in indonesia that had some waves take everything that we need and just go live on it for four months four or five months and just spear and just live off the island. And that's the ultimate dream that is still in the pipeline. So this is how it started. So we started with that. We're like, yeah, so we started planning to do this. And then it just escalated. It's like, well, let's get a little canoe so we can get to the outer reef and and spear deeper waters. And then we're like, yeah, so now we're looking for a canoe to buy. And then I was like, oh, why don't we just get like a a little fishing boat so that way we can get to different islands and camp on different islands. And we're like, yeah, so now we're looking for a little fishing boat. And meanwhile, (laughs) one of my mates, Jimmy, He's out working on um, super yachts, and he goes and does his captain's ticket for, for a sailing boat. And he hasn't done much sailing, but he goes and gets his captain's ticket, and he messages and goes, boys, he's like, fuck the fishing boat. Let's just get a yacht. <laughs> like, let's just get a yacht. So we're like, yeah, all right, we're on. So the idea was like just set in place. So basically, we started looking for boats. And we spent the next, like, six months to a year solid looking for boats. And we just didn't find the right boat. Um, and I remember I came back to Australia and I had a Canadian girlfriend. And we started living in a van, just cruising up and down the east coast of Australia. And the kind of plan just went on the back burner with mm-hmm. the yacht. Yeah. And then one day I get this message just going, boys, found we've the found the perfect yacht. It's on. It's in Langkawi in, in Reback Island in Malaysia. You're in or you're out. I just remember thinking, like, fuck, this is it, you know? The missus got flicked straight away. <laughs> dude, oh, dude, I, it was a very detrimental... When I met my ex-girlfriend, it was my dream of what I was trying to do yep. at the time, so I always thought I had her support. But because the, the idea kind of went on the back burner for about six months and then the actual boat came up, and as soon as that, I got that message, I was just like... I remember sitting there and thinking about it, just like, yeah, this is my dream, I'm just doing it. Yeah. And I said, yep, I'm here. I'm transferring your money right now. And so did that. And then I thought, okay, I need, to, I, need to be, I need to go light about this to tell my girlfriend, break the news to her. <laughs> Just I'm only young. It. I'm only young. I'm like, 20, I think I was 25 and I'm 32 yeah. now. I think I was 25 or 26. 26, I think. And the word got out 
before I got to sit her down and tell her because all our friends are frothing that we've just bought this yacht that we're committed to it. She gets the news before I get to sit down and tell her, right? So next thing, I look like the biggest asshole because I've just done this thing behind her back. But literally in my mind, you know, I like wanted to greatest, sit her down and do it. Ever, yeah. So we're in the biggest argument ever. She's screaming at me. I'm like, um, and I'm like, well, I've just got to do it, you know? So basically we did it and we, and we took off. Basically the whole sailing, um, what we did in Indonesia... I've got several podcasts on, but I kind of want to jump ahead because like we didn't have any experience. Um, Jimmy had a little bit of an experience, uh, but because of having no experience and just buying a yacht, working on a yacht, like we, we fixed it up ourselves and we took it sailing through, through Asia. Like we went to Thailand, went to Malaysia, no experience, lots of storms, nearly died so many freaking times. That's why <laughs> these stories are all, they need, I can't just, I can't just like lightly tell them. They all need to be skipped. They all, all need their justice. So basically, I want to tell you, I want to jump, I want to fast forward to a story that happened on this yacht. So basically, we, it was like the end of a trip. So basically, we've taken the boat down to do the Sumatran season, to do the Mentawise, to do the Benyak Islands, do Nayas, surf the whole Sumatran coastline and all those islands. And when you enter Indonesian waters, you get a six-month sailing visa. Mm-hmm. Now... The sailors, the crew themselves, we get sponsored and we could get up to a 12-month visa, but the boat could only get a six. Once you clear out of the waters, you get two months to get out Indonesian waters. Mm -hmm. So basically, we had sailed down to the Mentawais, to Macaronis, Mm -hmm. over six months, so six months in the waters. And then our plan was to clear out of Padang, which is like middle of Sumatra, Yep. And then have two months to get to go back up north and get back out of the water. So basically, once you go around Aceh and into the Malacca Strait, you can get on the way back to Thailand or Malaysia. Because the thing is, you don't want to leave the boat um, in the off-season in Indonesia. It's a bit too dodgy, where Malaysia right. and Thailand have, like, um, well-secured marinas. Right. So it's like just... A, and it's also a place that's a lot easier to get maintenance done for a boat. Mm-hmm. So basically, we're at the end of the trip of the visa... And we're in Macaronis, right? And we're in an island. Oh, I've got it, wrote it down here. Uh, Silibu was the village near us. So it's Macaronis Resort. Yeah. Now, the whole reason why we got to Macaronis Resort and we didn't go further is because our friends of ours run Macaronis Resort in the Mentawais in Indonesia. It's a surf resort next to the most perfect mechanical wave on this planet. It's insane how perfect that wave is. Have you? Have you? I've never, I've never been there, no. It's, um, I've seen plenty of photos and I think... Um, Anyone that's listening to this that surfs will know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a, such an amazing wave. So we've pretty much sailed down. We've sailed up to, through Malaysia, sailed up to Thailand. We've sailed down to Aceh, gone down through Simile, through the Benyaks, through Nias. Now we're in, um, in Macaroni's in the Mentawai. And we've got like a week. We've got like five days left on the visa. So the plan was be in Macaroni's, get the swell that we had there sail to Padang, clear out, and then have two months to go back through the Mans, go up to the Banyaks, and then clear out. Mm. So we've still got a really nice trip. Now, my mate Jamie decides to fly in and do, do a trip with us this last leg. So he flies in, so there's four of us. There's Jai, Jimmy, um, myself, and then Jamie as an, as an added crew. And now, how the system works around Macaroni, so all... All of Sumatra has surf charter boats, mm-hmm. but up north there kind of isn't many. But when you hit the Mentawise, which is just famous for a surf mecca, and it's so remote, the only way to surf out there is either by surf camps or surf charter boats. And I think there's something like 64 charter boats there now. Wow. And Macaroni's being the most perfect wave in the whole area, um, the most pristine wave, 
it has a surf resort right there yep. for the waves. So basically, this place was just getting too crowded. It was getting too crowded. So the surf resort decided to implement um, something just to try and help manage those crowds. So what they decided to do, and on theory it sounds perfect, they said, well, let's do a deal with all the surf companies, all yep. these charter boats. Um, instead of just bombing the break, having 10 charter boats rock up at once with 15 guests on each boat, plus our 20 guests in the surf resort. You know, you get 100 guys out there. They said, let's all manage it. Yeah. We'll pay for the moorings. We're going to put three moorings in. Mm-hmm. Right? We're going to put three moorings in next to the wave so these charter boats can come, hook onto a mooring, and then you're only allowed three boats. So basically, you don't have to pay for it. The charter boat can just call ahead to the resort through the two-way, yep. through the UHF, say, hey, can we book it in Monday, Tuesday? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so it's just to manage the crowd at that spot. Now, to manage this, the basically on the island where Macaronis is, is this small island in the Mentalize. And there's two villages on this island, one near the resort called Silibu, and there's one on the other side, or is the one on the other side of Silibu? I don't know, but there's a little village near this resort, and it has two families in it, about mm-hmm. 100 people. And most of those people work at the surf camp. Yep. So the surf camp have bought the village a boat with an engine on it. It's the only engine boat in that area other than the surf camp. So basically they've said, okay, we need security guards, and they've hired nine blokes three groups of three and given them this boat and said, okay, your job is to go out to the moorings and shoo any other boats that come that, that oh. come in that aren't um, that aren't booked in. Yeah. Basically. So this is Indonesia. So on paper it works, <laughs> but it just doesn't. It's a corrupt system. So we've, we've booked into a mooring. So we, you don't have to pay. You just book it in. We booked into it for like five days. So we're hooked on to this morning right next to the most perfect wave in Indonesia right and everyone loved it because instead of having a surf charter with 15 or 20 blokes on four of you yeah there's four of us so it's like straight up we're halving the crowd but the thing is right so boats will come in and then the security guards come out and say okay blah blah but the things what they're doing is they're coming out the security guards (laughs) and charging the boats anyway to take (laughs) the mooring so they're coming out saying oh you got to give us money and so these charter boats, having a lot of money, would give them like $100. Like it would give them a huge amount of money. You know, right? Yep. These guys are probably making $100 a month or not even, like yeah. maybe $50 a month. And these charter boats are giving them beer and 100 bucks, right? And then other boats would come in and anchor there and they would come up and go, hey, hey, you've got to leave. But you don't have to if you give us yeah, but not X amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> and then they would come up to us and everyone's giving them money and they would come up to us and would say, no, we don't have to pay. Like, you know what I mean? Like we knew the system. We didn't want to... We didn't want to give in to these guys. And so they came over one day and got angry at us. So it was three groups of three. One group of three were really nice to us and really became our friends. They would come on, hang out with us, have beers with us. And then there was another group of three that was really aggressive. Yeah. And they were kind of drunk. So every day they'll come out, get beers off all the boats and just get drunk and like demand money. And, and one day they came to our boat and were demanding money and getting quite aggressive about it. And so we got on the two-way and called the surf camp and said, hey, these guys reckon we've got to pay. Yeah. What's going on here? And the, the manager's surf camp said, tell those guys to come back here right now. We want to talk to them. So these guys have heard it on the two-way and got in their dinghy and shot back to the surf camp and got in heaps of trouble. Mm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. of what they were doing. So now they're even more pissed off at us. <laughs> so basically... Where we were anchored next to the wave, on the other side, there was like kind of peninsula, and the other side 
was this big bay. Mm. And we had booked in for our mooring for three or four days or five days it was. And then we couldn't get it again. So we're like, well, what we'll do is we'll just anchor on the other side of this bay. And then we'll yep. take our dinghy around to the wave when we want to surf. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go anchor out in this bay. Now, the village that was close to us um, was quite set into the island because the island had this big um, channel of mangroves kind of out mm-hmm. in front of it. And so it had this big, it was like going through the Amazon, man. This really shut, like this weaved um, path through the mangroves that you could get in on a boat to get out to this big bay. Yeah. And then where the surf camp is. So like the villages, to row that, you're looking at two hours rowing. Yep. On an engine, you're looking at maybe 20 minutes. Like it's quite yeah, deep. Right. It through, so it's quite a beautiful area. And you get in to this village and it's really primitive. You know, just huts, no power. Just two families, you know, it's probably the gene pool is probably a bit close. <laughs> but um, it's just this amazing primitive area. Yep. And so you've got to imagine if you're three guys or four guys on a yacht and you're sailing at sea, the thing is once you get out there, you strip yourself of everything. You get your mind becomes so raw. You become so primitive again. Mm. And life's just different because you're spearing for all your fish. You know, we're trading, we're spearing and catching fish and trading it to villages on the way for for veggies yeah right or we're going when the surf camps around when the surf charters around we're going spearing and catching fish and going to the surf charters and trading fish for beers (laughs) you know what I mean it's just like we just we're getting like you're at sea it's like you're stripped you're just raw your mind's different I don't really know how to explain except for those sailors that are there so this particular afternoon that we've pulled anchor and gone out and anchored in this bay these three guys that were getting quite aggressive on us had been drinking beers all day. And out of these three guys was this one really big guy. Mm. He was huge, actually. He would have been the biggest guy in the village. I was going to say, you don't get too many massive Indonesian dudes. Yeah. Like, they're like he was generally, a, the Indos aren't huge blokes. Yeah, he, and this guy was a big bloke. And, <laughs> and um, they've come taken their dinghy all the way around to this bay just to come annoy us, to come demand money. Because they've, they've been given beers all day by the, by the surf boats. And they've been drinking all day and they're pissed and they can't they come to our boat and they're drunk and they're demanding money. And we try and get on the two A to the surf camp to say, Hey, what are these guys doing? We didn't even have money to give them. I was we gonna had say, some change, surely like, you wouldn't have much cash on you. Well, we like, had a whole heap of cash hidden. Yeah, right. But like what the, they wanted like a hundred dollars mm. and like you should just give them some cigarette money to keep them happy. And like we're arguing with them for a while and my mate Jai ends up getting up. And, like, we're, we're, it's getting pretty aggressive, you know. Mm. We've got three drunk guys trying to board our boat, demanding money, mm. wanting quite a large amount of money as well. Yeah. And Jai ends up walking around with half a pack of cigarettes with small kind of, like, about three bucks in really small change jammed into it and throws it at him in the boat and goes, here you go, like, just now get F off, you know, yeah. get, get out of here. And there, I just remember him looking at it, counting, like, this is, this is not enough. We want more. And we're like, that's all you're getting, you know. And so they've left, and we're like, fuck, this is getting pretty heavy, you know? Like, these guys are getting pretty pissed off at us. We didn't really know what to do. And, and so anyway, they've left, and it's afternoon. We're like, all right, let's go spear, you know? We want to get some beer, so let's go spear. Let's go trade. There's a couple of surf boats around, you know? So we go spear fishing, and we get a really good catch. Mm. We get a really good catch. I remember my mate caught a 13-kilo, fuck, what was it? It might have been a sweet lip, I think. It was massive. <laughs> massive and there was this boat there an old navy boat anchored in the same bay called the huey 2 yeah it's an old navy boat that does surf charters now it's like one of the more expensive surf charter boats and mm-hmm. they had this young guy um as a surf guide on at benny 
and he was a mate of ours and he was the guy I don't know if you remember he was a surf guide in Indo that died um, I think from memory it was a shallow water blackout he was right. spearing and just never came back fuck so um, yeah big shout out to him because he was a really good bloke but we've speared got all this fish and we're like oh we'll go over the Huey and trade it with the crew get some beers and as we go over the Huey too their guests that were on that week were a whole heap of doctors a whole heap of rich mm-hmm. rich guys and they've, they've seen us you know a few boys them on a boat, really raw, and they're like, boys, come on, don't Frothing. worry about trading. Come Frothing, on, boys. Yeah. We're going to feed you up. Come have beers. So we end up getting on the Huey too and drinking beers all night with these guys, and we end up getting plastered. Like, we get drunk. <laughs> it's about 11 o'clock, and we're, you know, like, we're, we're pretty pissed, and we, we're heading back to our boat in the dinghy, and we're anchored way out in this bay and quite, quite like I was saying, quite a distance from the closest village around. And we get back to the boat, and we all get in bed, and you know like when you just you've had a massive day you're so tired you don't want to deal with anything you just want to go to bed right you know you're a little bit pissed and i'm about to fall asleep and my mate the one that was doing the trip with us jamie starts pestering me going oi oi, i can't find my bag and i was like man just find it in the morning i'm going to sleep he's like no i can't find my bag and then he turns the light on and i was like dude what are you doing i'm trying to sleep he's like no my, my stuff's not here and i was like what so i got up and i turned the lights on and I look around the boat and I'm like, boys, and my, my mates are doing the same thing. The, the other two boys join Jimmy. They're like, oh, just go to sleep, boys. And I'm like, guys, all our shit's gone. We've been robbed. We've been fucking robbed. And the boys get up. We're looking around. We're like, hang on a second. All our camera gear's gone. Jamie's bag's gone. He got, we go for like where we stash our money. It's all gone. Passports are gone. Shit. And we're sitting there going, holy fuck, we've been robbed. We've been robbed. And I'm like, hang on a second. We're around this bay. The only person that could get out here they wouldn't have time to make it back anywhere else. They would have to still be in the bay. Yeah. It's such a far paddle for a canoe. You know, I'm like, yeah. they've still got to be around. And, and I start like, I've got a bit of piss in me, plus the primitive mind because we are so raw. And I start kind of losing it, going, they're out here somewhere. Come on, let's go get our stuff. And, and I remember Jimmy, the captain, grabbed me. He's like, no, dude, like, just relax. We'll sort it out. And I was like, nah, they're in the bay somewhere. I grabbed my dive knife, strap it to my leg, grab the machete. And I'm like, I'm going. And Jamie's like, yeah, I'm coming with you. And it was just this divide suddenly between Jimmy and Jai and me and Jamie of how to deal with the situation. Yeah. And I've talked to J- James about it or Jimmy about it recently. And he said it was just, it was scary to see his friend get angry and get so raw and grab a machete and <laughs> go with Animalistic. his plan to go into a village where I could get himself killed. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't see that as logic at the time. But logic for me was just... They're in the base somewhere. Let's just go find them, get our shit back. Yeah. You know? So they've tried to stop me. I'm like, nah, I'm going. So we jump in the boat. We're lucky it's a full moon, so there's heaps of heaps of light out. And we start whizzing around the bay looking for canoes, and there's probably about two canoes in the bay. We whiz up, check them out, tell them what's happened. They don't have our stuff. We see on this little island in the distance a little fire. So we punch it over to the island, check out that fisherman. He's got, he doesn't have our stuff. And we're like, oh, must have been someone from the village. They, they'll be in that, that mangrove yeah. part of the village. We'll catch them, we'll intercept them there. So we take off for this village. So we take off through the bay, hit the entrance of the mangrove channel, just go through, all the way through the mangroves, don't see anyone, get to the village. Now this village is just huts, no power. Like, you know, it's just pitch black, 11 o'clock at night. And me and my mate just start lo- walking around looking for people. And we don't see one person. Everyone's asleep. I'm walking around this village with a machete. And I'm like, fuck, they're not here. They must be out in the bay. Like, you know, like someone, in my mind, logically, it's like they couldn't have got anywhere. Like, it's like they had to be, unless they had a boat, which I figured out after. It was like, unless they had an engine, 
yeah. to get away quicker. Being a fisherman in a canoe, they wouldn't have had time couldn't to get back to the far. village. So we get back in the boat and we start going back through the mangroves. And as we're coming out to the opening of the bay, I see this canoe coming. So I cut the engine and we hang into the corner of the mangroves. And I go to Jamie, I'm like, this will be them. This has got to be them. They're like, yeah. And I said, okay, what we'll do, we'll let, let them get close. I'll kick the engine on. We'll drive up to them. You get the torch, get it on them, check to see if they got our stuff. We're looking for a black bag. Basically, we're like, if we see Jamie's black backpack, we know we're on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? So we kind of time it. We hug it. We see this canoe coming. I fucking pull the engine. We rev up to them. I cut the engine as we're cruising up to them. I stand up in the, in the boat. I'm in the back of this three and a half meter dinghy that has kind of like two seats in front of two bench seats. And yeah. Jamie's up the front. And I start going, Datang di sini, Datang di sini. Like, come here, come here in Indonesian. And as soon as we do that, these two shadows just start rowing as fast as they can away from us. And I'm like, no, Datang di sini, Datang di sini. And I'm thinking, this must be them. I'm like, Jamie, Jamie, put, it, put the torch on, put the torch on. And Jamie stands up, puts the torch on in their canoe, and all we see is this black backpack. And I go, fuck. So I grab the machete, run across the dinghy, and just launch myself into their canoe. <laughs> and I've landed on my shin on the side of this uh. canoe. I've split my shin. I've knocked these two people out of the canoe. And I'm standing with the machete up in the air. One person has just swam for their life. The other guy's just on the other side. I'm holding the machete up as in don't move. I'm like, I'm going for it. I'm like, Jamie, give me the light. And so he puts the light on the boat. I start moving all this stuff around and these tarps around and underneath to look. And it's just all fishing gear. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, fuck, what have I done? (laughs) This is not our stuff. I'm like, Jamie. And Jamie puts the light on this guy that's on the other side of the canoe in front of me. And it's an elder from the village it's like a 70 year old man oh no and he's shaking he's crying with fear and Jamie puts the light on on the shore like in the mangroves and it's an old woman she swam she's run for her life and I'm like I'm sorry like it's okay I was all in Indonesian and so I get on the other side and I, I come and I hug this guy I put the machete down and he's shaking with fear. Like if you think about it, it's like middle of the night, like it's probably about midnight at this stage, yeah. on a full moon, a white guy has it's come out, out of the middle of nowhere with a machete speaking poorly Indonesian, <laughs> run at him. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he's yeah. feared for his life. This is a little primitive village man that has never gone any. You know what I mean? He's just yeah, lived yeah. in that area. And I've, so I've gone on the other side and I'm hugging him and I'm, like, trying to calm him down and saying, like, I'm so, so sorry, you know? And I'm telling him, like, Pemchudi's, um, Pemchudi is the word for thief in Indonesia. And I'm telling him that Pemchudi's came to our boat, to our Kapal Laya is our sailboat. And I'm saying that these thieves came to our boat and we're sorry we thought you were them and I'm so you know and I'm hugging them now I'm like oh fuck what have I done the village I'm gonna get my hand cut off for this I just disrespected elders you know what I mean I've knocked them out of the boat and so said sorry to them we've gone back to our boat and I'm sitting there I'm like fuck I'm just trying to think about it practically I'm like okay well first of all Jamie's just lost his passport and all his money. We need to get him out of here. He's got to let... Jamie's like, I've got to go. I've got to get back to the embassy. I've got to... Yeah. I'm done. You know? And then we're like, how did these guys get out here? Okay, well, it comes down... They had to have an engine. So it comes down to that nine crew. And that kind of makes sense because they were there in the afternoon drunk, threatening threatening yeah. us. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, so it's these guys. And now I'm like, all right, so that's that. Now I've got this added problem where I just knocked these elders out of their canoe I'm going to have to go and see the chief as well about someone robbing us and I'm going to have to go apologise you know like really give mercy give my mercy like really give my respect to these elders really say sorry bring them a gift I'm like oh, I'm going to get my fucking hands cut off you know mm. like they're going to you know like you get a, this is primitive yeah. primitive stuff so we get up the next day 
We've put the word out that we've been robbed. We get the word to the surf camp. They get hold of the mainland to Penang. Um, straight away, a police officer's like, all right, I'm on the first ferry out. Jamie is like, we drop him off where the ferry, like to get the ferry back. Yeah. Um, we've had to get money wired to him. To the ma- It just became this whole kerfuffle. Now I'm like, all right, now I've got to go sort this out. And the whole time I'm thinking of it, I'm thinking of how do I fucking get our stuff back? Now the boys thought I was stupid when we bought the yacht and we we're doing it up. I bought these fake cameras. Right? Oh, right? I bought these fake cameras and I put one up in the cockpit of our boat that had a little flashing light that looks like a and I have these stickers that said security camera, you're on, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as a just as a deterrent. Yeah. And I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh you know, and I'm like, I was determined that this big dude, this huge guy robbed us. And I go to the boys, okay, I know how to get our stuff back, man. That big guy's got it, you know. We just got to go threaten him. We say we've got to face on the on, on, the, on camera, the camera. Yeah. And he's like, and the boys like, just let it go, man. Nah, nah, it's not like, it's not worth it. And I was like, because what if it wasn't him? And I was like, it doesn't matter if it was him or not him. He's the biggest guy of the nine of them. If he thinks he's going to get done, the others are going to be scared of him. He's the biggest guy by like a foot or two foot. He's it's yeah. huge. This guy, the whole village would be scared of him. You know, he's aggro. He's an angry guy. He shows aggression. He's huge like they're gonna be scared of him so i'm like all we have to do is tell him that we've got his face on camera whether whether just fake him out a little bit exactly so i've got this plan in my head the boys like i don't know now meanwhile our boat still has to clear out in a couple of days our six month visa so now we're buying time we're like shit we need to sort out try Mm. get all our stuff back got eight grand of camera gear they stole you know we're and that's all our trips footage you know we're gonna try get this stuff back and i'm like all right, I've got to go in and sort this out. And the yeah. boys by this stage, they're like, fuck, dude. Like, all right, we'll stay on the boat. Like, you just got to be careful. So I go into the village, packs of cigarettes to give to the chief. And, and I have this meeting with the chief and I sit down. I'm like, yeah, we got robbed. We know it was someone from this village. This guy, I forget his name, but the big guy, we have his face, you know, and um, and this is what happened. And we, we looked on our, our camera footage and it was this guy. So I came last night looking for him. I thought it was him in the boat. I knocked these old people out. We've got this gift for him. I'm so sorry. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm shaking with fear because I'm like, yeah. I disrespected the elders in the village here. And I'm so lucky that the elders came around. I got to apologize to them and they're all laughing. Just, I was so lucky that they all saw the funniest <laughs> side of it. They all oh, thought yeah. it was hilarious. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, they could have gone yeah. so wrong. And the, the chiefs, told me the chief's like you know what it wasn't anyone from our village now this village is known for being thieves right so when we've told the surf camp that we've been being robbed they kind of expect they're like well they didn't expect it like yeah these guys are known for that they did um it. yeah so i've left having a conversation with the chief where the chief hasn't wanted to take any responsibility just blame it on another on another village on a faraway island kind yeah. of thing and i'm like this is you know, just no way someone could get from another village on another island and get to rob our boat. It just doesn't make sense. It was someone here. And so I'm like, I just took it upon myself. I was pissed off. My ma- best mate had done a trip. He had, had to leave. We lost all our money. Mi- yeah, we lost our money. We lost all our camera gear. All our, all our memories, mm. you know, of this insane trip we're doing. And so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go find this big guy. So I take <laughs> off by myself. Ask, asking everyone around the village for which where where his hut is, and I find his hut, and his son's there, and his wife's there, and I just said to his wife, I said, "Hey, look, we've got your husband husband's face on um, CCT footage," and I said, um, "He's got till five o'clock tomorrow to bring our stuff back." I said, "Just let him know that you know, if not, he's going to jail. We're going to hand yeah. it to the police." So I go back out to our yacht, and that afternoon, 
he comes out, this big guy, with two of his mates, and he's pissed off. He's angry, mm-hmm. right? And in my mind, I'm like, I'm playing a mind game with him to get our stuff back. Yeah. Threaten, the, threaten the biggest guy. If he thinks he's going to get done, you know, he's going to dob in the other guys. So he comes out pissed, going, because I disrespected him, went to his, uh, like, to his hut and said that I've got footage of him or whatever. So he comes to our boat and he gets up in my face. He wants to fight me. He's like, really? We're up. Well, I'm angry because I've lost all his stuff. This guy's been drunk, threatening us for days. You know, he's trying to get money out of us. Now we've been robbed. He's coming back at us with aggression. And even though he's huge, I've gone to the point now, I don't, I don't care. I'm in this guy's face. Yeah, my mates are trying it. to hold me back. I'm like, give us our stuff back. We know you've got it. I'm pointing at the camera going, we've got your face on there. We're taking it to the police. Um, you've got till five o'clock tomorrow to give our stuff back or you're going to jail. And he's like. He's pretty much trying to fight me. You yeah. know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's up. He wants to kill me. <laughs> and we end up getting into each other's faces, and he ends up pushing me and going, um, if he goes to jail. He, pre- he pretty much just pushed me and threatened me. And at that point, I hit this tipping point. And now I'm not an aggressive guy. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm a very – I'm a hugger, man. I hug people, <laughs> you know? But you're in this primitive state and you just kind of lose your mind. You've been at sea, you've been stripped of everything as, as it is. And then these people that are supposed to be your friends have just, you know, that have just stripped you again. And we had this fake gun on the boat. Now, <laughs> when we left Malaysia, we were like, we're going to buy a gun because the pirates crossing the Malacca Strait, really heavy pirate area. Um, pirates in Indonesia were like, we've got to get a gun. And just because of how the mine works, we're thinking, we started like thinking maybe it's not the best idea to be out at sea, a couple of blokes where you could really it's a really high risk of losing your mind or like you know your mind plays tricks on you out, yeah. out at sea We're like let's not get a gun let's just get a fake gun so yeah. we got this fake gun just as a deterrent and we used to have it just inside the cockpit as you come down into the boat just on this straddle so you could grab it it was just more of a deterrent show you, hey we've got a boat so when people came to the boat you could grab it put it like strap it to you and it looks like you got a gun yeah now this guy is up in my face wanting to kill me and I've just lost it. And I've just walked over, grabbed this fucking gun, came back, put it straight to his head with intention <laughs> as in like, I gave him the look in my eyes and I said, you got till five o'clock tomorrow and I'm coming in and putting a bullet in your head. <laughs> and my up. mates have jumped on me to hold me back. His mates have jumped on him to hold him back. You know what I mean? I've just suddenly, shit's just gone real, whether it was a fake <laughs> gun or not. <laughs> After that, they've got in their dinghy. They've left. My mates start blowing up at me. What have you fucking done? Let's pull the anchor. We're going to get out of here. We're gonna, they're going to come back and kill us. Like, you've just fucking threatened to kill us. What the fuck have you done? I was like, nah, boys, boys, we've got this. We've got it. Let's leave it till tomorrow. Five o'clock. If it doesn't, okay, we've got to leave. Because the boys are like, we've got to leave anyway. We're going to get back to Penang yeah, and clear the fucking boat out. So that afternoon, this policeman's come from the mainland on the ferry. So he's come and seen us. I've told him what's happened. Um, he's like, yeah. That night, this guy comes to the surf camp with one third of our stuff and hands himself in. Now, he is one of the guys, but not the big guy. He is one of the boat security guards. And he comes and hands himself in. So basically, this big guy is like, fuck, I'm going to jail. They've got my footage. He just threatened to kill me. So he's gone back in and known one of his mates has robbed us and gone hand yourself in, you know, like yeah, my, yeah. my plan, this manipulative plan that I came <laughs> up with in this raw primitive state of mind that I was in has started working. Somehow works. Has somehow worked. So he's come in and this cop has taken this guy into a room and given him a bit of a flogging, you know, you know, <laughs> lay, put a few punches in him, laid into him and this guy's given up the other guy. So the next thing, the policeman goes to the village, grabs the other guy, brings him out, two thirds of our stuff now. Now we're sitting there at the surf camp, two-thirds of our stuff are there. 
these two blokes are there. Like, oh, what do we do here? So the copper gives this other guy a couple more hits. You know, it's the Indonesian <laughs> way. Hey? Gives him a couple of punches and roughs him up a little bit, and he gives up the third guy. So the third guy comes in. Now it's got all of our stuff, and we're like, oh, cool, this is done. We can get our stuff back. And the police are like, no, nah, this is evidence. This is police evidence. Right, so what we've come into now is we came into this <laughs> political system. So basically, there's a surf camp there that's trying to be a viable business. Yeah. They're using the villages to run the surf camp. They look after the village as it is, but these village people keep stealing from them and keep stealing from gas and stealing from people. So the surf camp wants to make, wants to put it, they want to make, they want to get the point across that it's not okay to steal, right? Yeah. yeah. But they can't do it directly. And now they've seen us as a chance. You know, they can't do it directly because they need these people. You know, there's this, mm. um, well, it's just village life over there. And so they've suddenly seen this opportunity to make, to make an example out of these guys yep. using us. So the police is like, you know, this is, this is all our stuff in custody. You need to wait two months and we're taking these guys to court. And you've got to testify and then you'll get your stuff back. I'm like, we can't wait that long. Our boat's got to leave. Our boat's got to leave tomorrow and clear out of Padang. And they're like, well, we can't because at the minimal we can do is have the police chiefs come from the mainland and we can sit down, talk about it, work out what we're going to do. And then if you don't want to press charges, we can release the stuff. So you, no matter what, you've got to wait around a couple of days. So oh, I sit down yeah. with the boys. We can't get our stuff back and the boat needs to leave. And so the boys always sit down and we're like, fuck, what are we going to do? You know, Jamie's already left. Our mate, he's already made it to um, to Jakarta, to the Australian Embassy. He left on the first ferry out of there when it happened. So now it's just me and the other two boys. And we've got to get our boat to clear out. Otherwise, we're in trouble with that. And the boy's like, fuck, we've got to go. And I'm like, well, I can't stay by myself. And they're like, but then at the same time, you can't have one person sail back to Penang. No. I'm like, fuck. And I was like, oh, just came down. I had to stay. I had to stay in this village. So I was like, it's all right. I'll just stay in the surf camp. They'll look after me. So... I go to the surf camp, the boys leave on the boat. I'm like, can I stay here tonight? They're like, oh, dude, we're kind of full. And it was my mate that run the place. I was like, mate, you got to look after me. He's like, I'll just sleep on the couch. He's like, mate, he's like, I've got to be honest with you. And he's like, if you stay here, he's like, it's going to add so much tension to the village because we want you to prosecute them. But yeah, we don't but have we need to, to keep with good ties yeah, with them. Yeah, yeah, far out. And he's like, I can't. He's like, I'm really stuck here. I can't let you stay here because it's going to really be detrimental to the relationship of the village, which they need to uphold. You know, I'm like, fuck. What am I going to do? And um, so then the policeman's like, you're going to have to stay in the village. So this policeman, that single policeman, has taken me into the village. And he's taken me in there. There's a hundred people in this village. And he's found a host family for me. <laughs> now, this host family in this little hut is the only hut in this village that has a generator. And they have a generator and they have a TV. So for two hours at night, they run the generator and they put the TV on the whole village that's in this one hut. Right? So I've got a photo sitting with like 40 kids around me, you know, like just all the villagers around me sitting there in this little room watching TV, right? So he takes me in. I'm like host family. And now the next day I've got to go... Um, to, across the, the island to the, the other village where the, fer, uh, where the ferry comes in to meet the police chief and the chiefs of this village with the, the thieves are going to come. Um, they're going to have all our stuff there and we're going to do a proceeding. So I'm like, all right, I've got to stay in this village. So I'm in this village. Next thing I get called by the chief to come out the back of this hut. And I come out the back and he sits me down and all the elders in the village are sitting around in a circle. And we sit down and, and we're drinking jamu. 
Jamu juice and they, they sit down there and it's all in Indonesian. I've got to, everything's got to be spoken in Indonesian. And he's telling me that like, they're really sorry what their people have done, but they don't want them to be punished. Can I have mercy on them? Can I see it in their, in their soul? And I'm trying to explain all that's out of my hands, you know, like it's up to the police, whatever they do, you know, like I'm just trying to pass the buck, you know, I don't want the responsibility yeah. for it. And I'm getting nervous, man, because I'm in the village and three of their young fellas are going to go to jail the next day because of me. You know, so it's, it's a fucking nerve-wracking experience. I'm in this village of 100 people, and I'm their enemy at this stage. You know what I mean? And we're all trying to talk. And so next thing, the villagers bring in one by one the thieves. And the thieves come in one by one, get on their knees, crying, begging me to let them go, to tell the cops that it's okay, that they don't want to go to jail. You know, and I'm sitting there, and this is all getting full on. I'm like, these guys are crying. I'm like, it's just, it's an overwhelming experience, man. And it's all in Indonesian. Uh, it's just, um, and I've just kind of said, I'll see what I can do. But it's just like, you've got to understand, it's not cool. You can't, you yeah. can't, you know, you can't steal stuff of people. Like, trying to understand that who we are as people, that we aren't rich people, that we're, you know, on this adventure. It's like, yeah, we, we have a yacht, but, like, we didn't have much money. We're trading fish for everything that we we had that like um that stuff we really needed it that, that really hurt us and the, the fact that these guys had betrayed to be our friends that how much that hurt us inside and mm. that how important the stuff that they stole off was it like i was trying to really iterate that so they leave and that night i go to bed knowing that the hut right next door to where i am is where the thieves lived they literally lived in the hut next to the host family that had me so i'm sitting there thinking at night going fuck i'm in this primitive village these guys and the like literally through a little bamboo weaved wall <laughs> on the other side are these guys that are potentially going to jail the next day because of me and i'm sitting there i just remember getting my knife and having it under my pillow and i slept with my hand on the knife because i was like fuck at any moment so the next day luckily it was like a pretty luckily nothing happened that night but the <laughs> next day we got up and i got taken by this policeman across the other side of the village they all got taken by the chiefs these thieves over and it was just the biggest wank I'd ever seen, right? So the, all these police chiefs, the big police chiefs from Padang come over because this is a high-class case. These Westerners have been robbed on this yacht over on this island and they've caught the guys. They've, they've, got all the, um, they've got all the evidence, right? So they've got all the evidence on this table in this, in this hut and all they did was take different... It was just take photos standing next to the evidence or take photos with me shaking my hand and like <laughs> I'm sitting there going what's stunt. going on here and then next thing so we sit down and it's like the proceedings happen all that happened was the chiefs get up the three guys are sitting over there that were the thieves they say sorry to me then the police chief get I mean the uh, village chief gets up walks over to the police chief hands him a whole heap of money which would have been our money that they stole right hands him a whole heap of money and they go okay next thing all these guys leave and I'm left with the police chiefs and i'm like what just happened they're like oh they paid us money so they can stay out of jail and so we don't beat them and i'm like oh, okay and they're like all right so do you want to take them to court in two months to get your stuff back or like do you just want it back and i'm like i i need to get out of here i just want my <laughs> oh, stuff back out. and they're like they're what? like oh, okay so next thing they're like okay well um now they want stuff now these police chiefs because they came from the ma mainland they've got all this camera gear in front of them they've got all our sunnies they've got all our stuff they've got our passports they're, next thing they start picking stuff off they're like oh can I have these sunnies they're like oh can I have this camera and now I'm trying to fight off these police who are like, no. hey, like I need this stuff they're like um, that's in yeah right and so I end up getting most of our stuff I think I gave our sunnies away <laughs> I think I gave our sunnies away and I've had to go get on the ferry that afternoon and get 
do the overnight ferry back to Padang, back to the, the mainland to meet the boys. But I couldn't get over. If you actually think about it, it's like, we got robbed. We got robbed. We got a whole heap of money <laughs> taken off us. That money that was taken off us was used to get these guys out of shit so they didn't have to go to jail. That's madness. You know what I mean? No lesson was taught in that situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Other than a good life lesson for us. You know what I mean? <laughs> and was, what was so sad that these guys had became friends with us and then they just robbed us. Like They just lied to our face. And it was so... It was so weird to see my So was mind. it the big guy that robbed you or was it the other group? It was his mates. It was the other group. But oh, it so worked it, out. So it was the guys that you the were hanging guy, out with? And the guys that we were hanging out with. The big guy actually didn't have anything to do with it. Right. He had nothing to do with it. It was just his mates. But he knew it was his mates. So me threatening that big guy. The thing was, I, had a, I, kinda had a, I had a grudge against this big guy because he had come over drunk threatening, threatening us. You know, I was convinced it was him from day dot. Yeah. And if it wasn't... It was his mates. Yeah, yeah. And it turned out to not be him, but his mates. But it was just like, looking back on it, I couldn't believe. I Often, I did this trip, survival trip, right, um, on an island. No food or no water. I've done quite a few of these trips. And I often, I really like to see what happens to the mind. Because mm. that's the thing. It's like, life is so easy. And when we strip ourselves of everything, your life, your, your mind... It takes turns, man. It takes turns. <laughs> and so, like, it's really hard for me to kill animals. Right. And I can't kill a mammal. I can't do it. But it, just to kill fish and to be able to spear fish was a big stepping stone for me. And I had to do that on the boat. I had to do that because I had two mates spearing, capturing food for me, for me to, to sustain me. And in, in a tribal circumstance, you can't not provide. You yeah. have to bring something to the table. And you've got to be in that situation to really understand that when you're in that situation, you feel hopeless if you can't provide as well for yourself and for these other people, you know, you can't just let other people provide for you in those situations. So I had to learn to spear and respect the, the fish and, and really, um, and really understand what the fish was giving me. Now, man, I was on this Island and I've said this on a podcast before, but I was on this Island. I remember the first day I was there, I was looking at these peacocks going, fuck, these are such beautiful birds. Look at them, you know? And it took three days of no food <laughs> to start looking at these peacocks just licking my lips <laughs> just going fuck I'm just going to kill them. it was like it I didn't even think twice about like what a beautiful animal like oh, I need it. it was just like the primitive mind kicks in so much and we forget we have the, this mind yeah. you know what I mean we forget that we're an animal we forget that we're a human being on this planet mm. right and we forget the connection that we have yeah. to the earth right and it's like when you go in these situations when you are sailing when you are raw it's just you and nature out there. You're stripped of everything. You get connected back to nature. You understand these things and your mind goes raw and you go back to this primitive state. And it's really interesting, interesting to see what happens with your mind from that. Mm. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I'd actually love to tell you some of the other adventures That's we had for that, that yacht, like nearly killing ourselves so many times in storms. Just everything, just the sublime moments, being so far out at sea and just realizing you're nothing. Mm. You know what I mean? You're this yeah, little right. dot on the ocean. Yeah. And you can be swallowed by Mother Nature at any second. Mm. It's like a really, it's a really awakening, humbling experience. Humbling experience, hey. Yeah. Far out. That's a wild time, eh? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I, um, I often, t people like hearing that story because they, it's not me. They like, well, people yeah, like that hearing that I, I lost it. <laughs> I lost it <laughs> through a massive mind game. 
You need to go on uh, Survivor on Channel 10 and just play that game. <laughs> I think what I want to do... What do you reckon? Do you reckon you'd be any good at that? Or I don't know. Well, you'd be too good at it. That'd be a cl- crack No, up. I'm terrible at it, man. I just... I think it's just I like challenging myself and I like putting myself in situations where I have to make it happen. Mm. And I always, I've, I always talk about it's responsibility. It's like you go strip yourself of everything. You become completely responsible for you. For you. Yeah. It's like no one can give you that food. No one can quench that thirst. You have to do it for yourself. You know what I mean? You have to, you have to make it happen. And when you go put yourself in those challenging situations, it's like a domino effect throughout your whole life. I say this to everyone. It's like you challenge yourself, you strip yourself of everything, you teach yourself responsibility. And then that goes through everything in your life, just a domino effect of every situation in life you choose how to come at it. You know what I mean? It's like the, the common story I use is when someone come, cu- cuts you off in yeah. traffic. It's like you're choosing to get angry if you want. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? And these raw situations is what teaches you to be humble. Mm. You know what I mean? And so, like, I think my dream job would be is I'm already doing this stuff, but it's just to start filming it somehow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Go live on islands and just get raw. Yeah. Like, go just and just film it somehow. Mm. You know? Record it. Yeah, record it. Fuck. People love watching that stuff, man. They do. I've got a couple of Instagram... On my Instagram, actually, you can have a look. Um, I've done a couple of Instagram stories. I have got an island challenge on there that I filmed just on my phone. Yeah. Um, with no food or no water, five days in the Keppels. And then I've got two Instagram stories there in the highlight section that you can save of me crossing the mountains in Iceland and building snow caves and training for that. Because um, that was just another raw experience, another time where I came so close to death and pushing myself into that unknown and it was um, another very humbling experience, actually. That's amazing, hey? Yeah, what's, yeah. I get, the hard thing is people are probably listening right now and going, oh, fuck, you know, I can't do that. Like, how am I going to do this or that? Like, Well, you I, don't have to. Any adventure. It's just like... Just go I've, camping for a weekend. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like I've just hit the point in my adventure life that I've got to go so far outside the box to get that new adventure. But it's like if you... Anything that you're doing in daily life, you can make an adventure out of it. Mm. Even these podcasts that I do, meeting everyone, I go, I'm going to make an adventure out of it. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, right now, this is an adventure to sit down and talk with you and can, yeah. and just sit sit down on this beautiful beach, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's doing something different. It's outside my comfort zone. It's something I'm not used to doing. Mm. Coming to the, to the city, it's as simple as like doing something different on the weekend. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Getting out of that comfort zone, going to the Blue Mountains for a weekend. That's an yeah. adventure, man. 100%. That is raw adventure. I think that um, there's this guy called Alistair, hum- Alistair Humphreys. He's a guy from the UK. He actually hit me up to come on the podcast. And his big thing, he's an adventurer like you. He'd be a great guy for you to talk to, 100%. But his whole thing is called micro-adventures. Yep. And basically, it's encouraging people in the UK, around the world, just to like go out for a weekend, go camping, yep. go for a bushwalk. You know, spend a night in a city that you don't know or, you know, do something small because everyone's time poor, but you still have this ability to jump on a bike and, oh, okay, why don't we, after we finish the podcast, why don't me and you walk from here to Palm Beach 30 Ks? Yeah. That's an adventure. I fucking love it. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's those little things that we can all do. There's no real excuse. Even for some people, like, like you said, going to the Blue Mountains, get the train out there, go for a walk, get the train back. You don't even need a car to do half this stuff i think the thing around it is just disconnecting mm. and the f- how liberating it is to disconnect yeah. so 
whether just that walk, going for a walk, going, coming down the beach and going for a walk, leaving your phone at home, going for a walk and just truly being in the now, mm. putting yourself, like looking at this beautiful day, looking at this ocean, looking at the waves coming in, watching the people surf, watching other people interact. It's just like, that is adventure. Mm. You know what I mean? Adventure can be so, so small. And that, someone that's like working a nine to five job, they're getting just as much thrill and adventure out of doing something like that yeah. that I am climbing a mountain. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, yeah. you know, it's just different levels of adventure, but it's, it's the same feeling. Do you find, you know, you've done all these things, you talk about sailing and mountain, mountaineering, all this different stuff, spearfishing. Do you find you're someone that can pick up skills pretty quickly? Yeah, I've talked about this a lot. Um, because I mean, they're, they're not normal things yeah, to do, like, you know? Like, right now, I'm building my house. And, like, I, I built... I've got a troop carrier that I drove down here in um, that is just set up for living in. I've got a whole heap of solar panels. I've got all my surfboards in there. I've got a nice um, pull-out kitchen. Um, I've got a couch set up that folds into a double bed. I've got my fridge in there. I've got Wi-Fi in that thing, man. It's a big <laughs> Land Cruiser troop carrier. And I <laughs> built that thing from scratch. I did all the engine work, did all the... And I'm no mechanic. I'm no chippy. But... What I, I call myself a jack of tr- jack of all trades, master of none. And I, <laughs> yeah, sounds pe- like me. People love this about <laughs> me, but I don't. It's just like I wish I I was a master of more things. It's like I'm, I'm a good surfer, but I'm no pro. Like yeah. I know that. But do you like need I'm, to be a pro? Do you need to be a mechanic? Do you need like? No. Or would you? Yeah. I, it's the adventure and learning. Yeah. Like right now, I'm building my house, and I came into it and I started like getting a bit nervous. Like, am I up to this? Can I do this? Can I have the skills? And I literally had this liberating feeling the other day because what happened was. I had a builder coming to build with me and I was helping, going to help him. Yeah. And so I never actually took the responsibility on that I can do it. I mm. never thought about that. It was all him. He had to figure it out and I'll just help him. And he calls me the other day and goes, oh, mate, this job I'm on has blown out a few weeks. You know, I can't help him. I was like, oh, no, that's fair enough. You know, whatever. Mm. And I had a plan B, which is another mate um, in Crescent Head, um, Ian. I give him a call and he goes, oh, actually, mate, I've got this big job on right now. I'm out for the next six weeks. And I just sat down. I started freaking out going, oh, fuck, I can't, I can't build this house. And then I just sat down at what I wanted to do. And I just suddenly had this penny drop moment like, what's stopping me? Yeah. You know what I mean? I can do this. I've got <laughs> this. Straight up, I went to the t- tip. I got a table from the tip. I got a couple of workhorses. Got a g- generator. Got a drop saw. Bang. Got my tool belt. Got all my tools there. And I've just started building, man. And I've, I, I'm impressing myself right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's just having that patience within yourself or that um, urge to learn. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, right now, that is an adventure. Mm. It is such an adventure building that house. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just as adventurous for me traveling. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Or like going overseas and doing all these things. Yeah. Speaking of going overseas, one of the one segment we do on the Roby Mike, it's called Carry On. And normally I take a little bit of a deep dive into someone's bag. But what I thought I might ask you is what are five things, this is like an opposite question, what are five things you do? don't need when traveling you know normally people are like oh Aaron what's the five things you've got to have when you go on an adventure what are the five things you don't need a hair straightener (laughs) (laughs) I um this is actually really interesting because some of the stuff that people bring traveling you don't need anything that okay I think it's all comfortability level Mm. and the more you strip yourself okay so when I travel uh, all depends on where I'm going. Cold climates, oh man, that's that does my head in traveling because I do a lot of. Um, I'm getting into a lot of cold climates. Like I just spent three months in the Arctic, and packing for cold stuff <laughs> did my head in. Now this was the thing. I took a couple of jackets, and you don't need. I've just okay. 
all you need to take is the essentials, right? And everything that you look at has to have multiple purposes, mm. right? So I've got a jacket, actually, that jacket that's there today. It's um, a good down jacket. Yep. It'll cross over in the snow, and it's also quite a nice jacket that I can wear it out. Yep. It's like I don't need to take a nice jacket there. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like I don't need to take... Like a not like a, I'll try and get a pair of pants that like just will cover all bases. Mm. So it's like finding that balance and everything. Yeah. But as far as what not to take, I don't know, man, because I don't take too much. <laughs> what what do you not take? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. There's so many things. Like I I'm someone that's got all this like lots of little shit, like little bits and pieces. And I think I think the main one is I don't know. I'm just. Snacks. You yeah. don't need snacks. My parents just went to China and they tr- they packed a full suitcase of snacks. I'm like, you, <laughs> well, you're in a different country. You can buy them if you want. They have food there. In China, you got food everywhere. You got yeah, food everywhere. You yeah, I'm like, street. you're missing out on your experience right here. Okay, that's what you don't need to bring. You don't need to bring anything that that country offers you, right? Yeah, because right. that is part of the experience in itself is using their toothpaste, mm. is using their buying a using the things that they have to offer. When you go to Japan, it's all different packaging. It's an adventure in itself yeah. is buying the everyday to day items that are so different mm. to what you used to. And, and it's also like, especially if it's like written in a different language and you're yeah. trying to figure it out. What is that? Well, because through that, then you get to ask people questions. You know what I mean? You get yeah. to interact with other people. It's like, I, that's something I never take. I never take like soaps or shampoos. I never take the toiletries. I'll take my toothbrush and maybe a little toothpaste. And I always get that stuff there because that's all part of the experience yeah. is using the stuff that that country has to offer. What about uh, like technology? Do you take, do you roll with like a big camera? I guess when you're documenting stuff, you need a bit more gear or nah, do you just have your phone? And I just, well, I'm not much of a um, technology guru. Mm-hmm. I just, for this podcast, I had to get a laptop, which is in that bag over there. And I had to go to Apple Man and I had to, I had to do the Apple courses just to figure <laughs> it out. Man. Like that's that's where you really came in helping me with um, editing, and um, but basically I just bought the iPhone XR because this takes extremely good yeah. photos, and then I have my podcasting gear. So I've got three mics, three headphones. I've got the same Zoom recorder that you have. Yeah. Um, a couple of mic stands, and that takes up my backpack. Yeah. Right. And then I basically so once I started bringing the recording gear on trips with me, that really limited me to stuff that I could take. Mm. So then that only fits is what fits in my board bag and in my board bag I have three boards because I'm a board hog <laughs> it's just like, I, I like to have boards for every situation but I have three surfboards in there and some clothes and that's it and my backpack is just my recording gear yeah, right. and all those other little things yeah all the snacks all the Pick it up on the way. yeah you figure it out man that's, figure the, it out. that's <laughs> the thing about traveling is getting to using those as the same as the podcast you're using it as an excuse to interact with people in different cultures mm-hmm. you know it's just as simple as like having to buy your own shampoo in a different country. Yeah. You know what I mean? Figuring that out, that is a... And that's a good adventure, even if you're someone and you're going to Tokyo, say, like you're suggesting, and you're going there for work, and it's like, I'm going for work, I'm going to a nice hotel, whatever, I'm just going to go minimal and just figure it out as I go. Yeah. Turn it into a little bit of a, a I moment. I was in South Korea one time. I was by myself. I'd been to South Korea before. Um, and now I was on a stopover. Whenever I have stopovers traveling, I always spend a few days. Yeah. A week. I use it. It's like, okay, if you fly from here to Canada, often the flight stops in Hawaii. Yeah. And, and normally it's like an eight-hour layover. So just stay in Hawaii for a few mm. days. You mm. know what I mean? Um, so I did this in South Korea coming back from Canada to Indonesia. And I stopped in Korea. And I go check into this hostel. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going, I'm going to go find some local feed back alley as I can because I love getting as 
raw and as um, I love getting as local as possible. Yep. And so I go start looking at all these like walking down back alleys, finding like little restaurants and everything. And then I see this one little restaurant that stands out. It's tiny. It has a few businessmen sitting in it. And there's this one chef dressed like really in his, his chef attire. Um, just in his chef attire and he's also the waiter right so i go in i sit yeah, down you go to a little spot like that they're the chef the barman the waiter the dishwasher everything yeah. all in one because it's so small exactly and i'm like here we go this place is gonna be a sick experience right so i walk in there's a few businessmen in there no one speaks english the menu's all in korean i sit down the guy comes out he's like real nervous looking at me and i'm like oh he's like trying to say what would i like to order and i just put my finger on the menu do a <laughs> circle and i was like that and he starts freaking out he's like oh oh and he's like and so I'm thinking, oh, okay, that must have been a bad idea. So I do it again, <laughs> uh, and I point to something else. And he's like, oh, okay, and then walks off. I'm like, okay, that was a bit odd. <laughs> and next thing, about five minutes later, he comes out with all this food for these other guys. And it's all, like, fish heads and fish eyes and, like, guts and, like, really disgusting random things. And I'm like, oh, what have I done? What have, what what have I done? I'm like, whatever's coming my way, I have to respect it. I have to eat it. And plus, it's the experience. <laughs> I have to do it now. And I'm thinking, I'm freaking out going, oh. Next thing, the chef comes over with his phone and he hands his phone to me. And I'm like, uh, hello? And his <laughs> mate's on the phone who can just speak like a little bit of English. And he's like, oh, salmon? You like salmon? And I'm like, salmon? Yeah, yeah, I like salmon. He's like, oh, okay. And then I hand the phone back and this chef's like, oh, okay, okay. Bows to me and, and runs off all nervous. And then about 15 minutes later, he brings out the most amazing sushi I've ever had in my yeah, life. Good. It was one of those guys where it's like it was his art. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. He, was a, he was a sushi ninja. But it was yeah. like the experience that I had because of that, just because I went, you know what, I'm going to just go yeah. to this place. He <laughs> was just freaking about. We had, I've had a similar experience like that. Well, same, same, but different. But I was in Hiroshima in Japan. I mean, a buddy, um, Craig, is a South African guy, amazing photographer. We were in Japan there doing a little bit of a work trip. And we went down these back alleys. Again, I'm like you. If I'm going to be eating, I'm finding like the weirdest, tiniest little hole-in-the-wall spots. We walk into this spot and we're like, oh, this looks sick. Again, couple of businessmen, you know, in the collared shirts, the pants, suit jackets, having a great time, like having beers, having the best time ever, cheering. And there's four of them in there and there's two extra seats. And me and Craig, we pop our head in and we're like, two? Like, you put your fingers up yeah. for like two people. And the guy was a bit like, oh, oh, oh. And we're like, oh, please, please. Like smiling, being all friendly. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. And we come in. And these lads, they're like, at first they're a bit like, oh, who are these Westerners? Because... In Japan, people can be a little bit standoffish at first, a little bit cautious, a little bit, you know, yeah. scared. Um, and we get into it and we're like, oh, okay, we'll have two beers and some sake. And yeah, sweet you beers guys and are sake. Into it. The, yeah. boys, the boys are loving it. They're like, oh, nice, nice, having beers, smiling. And we're like, oh, we'll have what they're having. You know, because you, you see people and they're like, oh, that looks good. And you just point, yeah, I have some of that. Have some of this guy's one. Having a few more beers. And the boys start getting a little bit more friendly. We're come by, come by, having a few drinks, drinking, drinking, drinking. Next minute, it starts getting wild. We're onto the whiskey, going absolutely mental. And one of the lads, this big bloke, we got a video of it, it's insane. Drinking away, drinking, come by, come by. And they've been there all afternoon. Gets to a point where he's had that much to drink. He has one last sip. And, you know, you sit in the izakaya, there's a tepan, like the flat yeah. pan right in front of you, the barbecue setup. He has one sip of his thing. He's like, oh, it's not, you can tell he's not doing well. And he cracks a ciggy out because you can smoke inside as well has one puff on his ciggy and I'm just like oh this guy's turning green he was like turning brown gr he was not good and he just goes ooh, ooh, 
and spews all over the tepan, all over the You're like where the guy's me. cooking. The chef's freaking out, like completely blown away. He's like embarrassed in front of like the Westerners that are there in his restaurant. He's freaking. He grabs like a salad bowl, puts it in front of this guy. The guy starts spewing into this salad bowl. It goes outside, and then the bloke's mates are like, "Oh, so sorry." So, like they spoke a little bit in. We're so sorry. They were. Fucking mortified <laughs> that this bike had just spewed everywhere, and we're like, "No, nah, no, nah, it's cool, it's hilarious, having the best time, it's all good. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry, we like this stuff. We're loving it. <laughs> it's, this is like such an experience for us." But they were freaking out. They were like absolutely mortified. Walk this guy outside to get some fresh air. We're like, no, no, don't worry, don't worry. And they're like apologizing, bowing. We're like, no, nah, it's all good. And he goes outside. And we're like, oh, okay, you know, he's all right. Let him have some time. He comes back in. We're like, drink, kampai, kampai. He's like, eh, kampai. And it's nice drink, yeah. What a bad Straight man. back into it. Yeah, he was freaking loving it. But um, that was just a weird little food experience. Well, in did Japan. you see what you did there? Exactly yeah. what you did is like you went in for an authentic experience. You yeah. allowed yourself to have it and look what happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? That is where those stories come from. That is where that raw adventure is. You know what I mean? Because you got into the culture. Yeah. And I often, it's, it's, I often kind of get annoyed sometimes with people traveling. Not annoyed, but it's just like people go travel to a different culture and they go stay at a nice resort and want their Western ideals. Yeah, to stick n- through. Their Western needs seen to for them and it's like mm. no you have this opportunity to experience mm. life in a different way yeah it's like dive into that culture you don't yeah. need you know what i mean like you don't need to have an american breakfast no nah. you know the best b- things b- about especially when you're traveling through asia is the asian breakfast like yeah all throughout like malaysia singapore you know japan wherever you go india i love indian breakfast yeah it's like the best oh, ever and p- people are scared about getting sick and i always say like you you have less chance of getting sick on the mm. side of the road than what you do at a, like a medium level restaurant. Mm. And I always say the reason why is like, okay, Bali, for instance, you go mm. to the markets, right? You go to the night market in, in Bali. That guy is doing fried chicken. Yeah. He went to the village that morning. I mean, he went to the markets that morning to the bazaar and bought the chicken. It was slaughtered that morning. He's got the chicken. He's there. All he's making is chicken. He's going to make it until it's done. That's, That's it, it, right? Yeah. He's not storing anything. It's not yeah. sitting around. Yeah. You go to this. A lot of my friends are like, no, no, we just go to this cheap restaurant down here. They, they walk in. There's like 30 things on the menu. They mm. order the chicken. No one's ordered it for a week. The chicken's been sitting in the fridge. You know yeah, what I mean? Not it's good. not fresh. It's like. A, yeah. yeah you have more chance of getting sick going to those medium restaurants. Yeah. Than what you do on the side of the road. I love um, when I'm in Bali, I love eating from the um, the Muslim restaurants. I forget what they're called. You know where they stack Nazi the food? Yeah, you know yeah. when they like stack it yeah. up and it, they don't refrigerate it? Yeah. Um, yeah so you got to get in like, I like masada, to get in before masada lunchtime. Masakampadang. That's the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah you like to get in before lunchtime? Yeah, just because sometimes if it's sitting there and not refrigerated for, you know, yeah. eight hours, it can get a bit gnarly. But that food is amazing. Yeah. Well, what's amazing about Bali too with Nazi Champur, with those uh, styles that out of all Indonesia, they have Bubby Guling there. You know, by yeah. being Hindu. So you can go have the pig. Oh, yeah. Bubby Guling's insane. Yeah, what a what an mm. amazing thing. Yeah. Hey, um, how are we going? Should we wrap this up? Yeah, I reckon. I reckon I got one more one more thing to do before we um Madison. I'll do my other little You got your video ready? Before we um before we wrap it up, one of the things I always ask our guests is like five things. And I want to ask you what would be five things that you would share with the world or five reasons why people should pack up their life, follow their dream, 
leave the job if they want to go to Bali, if the boys want to go to India, they want to, you know, do a yoga course, go sailing, whatever it is, what would you say are five best reasons why they should do that? Because you've, you've done it, you've experienced it. Okay, so this is pretty much my five mantras in life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's things that I always say to myself. There's things that I always say to myself to allow myself just to be happy. Yeah. Okay, so it's like we have one life, right? We've mm-hmm. got one life. We've got fucking one life and it's so short, right? And it's like, don't we want to live that being happy? Yeah. Don't we want to live that loving? You know, like love is happiness. And I think when you do things for yourself, you allow yourself to be happy. It's like okay to do things for yourself. It's okay to, um, it's okay to fear. How do I put this? Because this is a great way to really get this message across. Okay, it's like, it's okay to be you. Mm. And I think it's the most insane thing that we do. If you think about this, right, people aren't 100% authentic, authentically themselves out of fear of judgment. Yeah. A lot of the time, it's like people don't want to go do what they want to do sometimes because they're scared. Okay, it's like me with the podcast, right? I'm starting this podcast. It's like, fuck, I'm going to put it out there. Everyone's going to know who I am. People are going to listen to me. People are going to judge me. Mm. And it's like, think about it. This is something I want to do. Think about if I didn't do it, because of fear of being judged. Mm. It's like, I'm not going to do what I want to do because someone else is so lost in their own self that they're going to judge me for it, right? And their own judgment is just a judgment on themselves. So it's like, I'm not going to do what I want to do in life because of what someone that I don't even know Mm. might think. And it's like, that is fucking insane. Mm. That is so insane that we have that thought. So I'd say to people, like, think about what you want to do. Think about those fears that are holding you back. And think about how crazy it is that you let some simple fear not let you get to your dreams in life. You know what I mean? I had these friends call me one day um, because I'd been backpacking for years. And I got home and and these friends called me and they said, oh, fuck, how do you do it? I want to travel. I want to go backpacking. And I, said, and I said, oh, what do you mean, how do you do it? And I said, I said just go do it. And they go, oh, no, but we've, we've got an apartment. We've got a six-month lease. And I said, well, sublet it. Get someone, like, these are just probably get someone else in. Break the lease. They go, oh, yeah, there's a friend of mine. Um, she goes, oh, yeah, but we just bought this couch. I said, what do you mean you just bought a couch? She goes, we just spent $2,500 on a couch. And I go, put it in storage if you really like it. It's just a couch. It's a material thing. You can sell that. You can do these things. I said, you've given me something that you wish you could do. You've asked me this question, but all you're doing is finding excuses why not to do it. Yeah. It's like these are really like, think about how insane it is that you just said to me at the pure <laughs> essence of it, you just said, I'm not going to go follow my dreams and go backpacking around the world. Or I'm not going to go do this in my life because I have a material possession at I've home. A I have a couch. <laughs> do you understand how insane yeah. that is? It's, a, it's, it's okay. It's okay to sell that couch. It's okay to break that lease. It's okay to go do what you want to do. Mm. You know what I mean? Where if we're fearing what other people think of us, it's just just the most insane thing. And it's like, allow yourself to do that. When you allow yourself to do those things, it's just loving yourself. You're learning to love yourself. And you just project that out in everywhere in your life. So when you go into that, it's just like, it's like I always say, it's like the heavens open up. Yeah. You know, it's like when I'm being the most authentic version of myself, it's like... All I'm getting from other people is the authentic version of them. So mm. I'm developing true connections with people. I'm having true experiences. And I'm just enjoying myself because I'm being me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like let that fear, when you, when you see that fear that's stopping you from going outside the box and doing those dreams, it's like let that be the motivator. Make it a game. Like say every time I have that fear, do it. Yeah. Or something. Like I like to make it a game. It's like 
you want to jump off a bridge or you want to go skydiving. And then when you get up there and you have that fear, you don't want to do it. It's like when you have that fear, make it a game. As soon as you have that fear, you have to do it. Yeah, Dare yeah, yourself yeah. to do yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And go into it. Yeah. Was that five things? I think you did. So I, don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if we went through an exact five, but I think you pretty much nailed it, though. No, but that's kind of like that, it. It's just it, like, yeah. that's what I live my life by. And I, I live my life allowing myself. I lived my life by, I, okay, I spent too many years worrying about what other people thought. I spent too mm, many I was gonna years. going to say comparison is a big one as well. Yeah, I spent too many years judging other people just because I was um, insecure within my own self. Mm. And it's like... Now I literally just allow myself to do the things that I want to do. And you know what? Life is so fucking amazing. And I always say, if you're not saying to yourself every day, if you're not looking at the situation you're in and going, fuck, I'm so lucky. Look how amazing life is. Then you've got to change something in your life. It's your mindset. Even if it's your job, I've had jobs that I've hated and I can't stand. And I've been able to change my mindset and find the positives in it and enjoy what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, I've got to give up who I am and go work a construction job for six weeks. I sit down and say, okay, well, what are the positives here? It's only six weeks. I can do this. Let's, let's play a game. I'm going to eat all organic while I'm doing it. I'm going to go to the gym every morning. I set myself a few goals. I'm going to, every morning when I'm on my way to work, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to get a coffee. I'm going to put some fun music on. I'm going to dance. I'm going to get to work and just enjoy it. If I have yeah. to do this, let's find a way to enjoy it. Yeah. That's you know what so I mean? True. And yeah. you're allowed to do that. You Nailed know what it. I mean? You're choosing to have a negative experience yeah you know what i mean that's spot on yeah yeah motivation man we're motivating well i hope i hope everyone out there that's listening is uh a little bit motivated and enjoyed that um enjoyed our chat and enjoyed the story well you get man i had two coffees yeah i've been talking <laughs> to everyone's ear off but um basically if anyone likes wild stories you can go on diariesofthewildones.com or just find Diaries of the Wild Ones on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or Podbean, whatever you listen to podcasts on. But basically, it's just the compilations of adventures, stories of people's wild stories, wrong place, wrong time. <laughs> There's a lot of near death. Near death seems to be a big thing in adventure, and I love hearing those stories. People like really getting the wrong place, wrong time. Um, and just a lot of inspiration, people that have really gone into their fear and made these amazing things happen in their lives and there's some amazing episodes in there. So it's really, I find it really inspiring and people are really loving it. And I, I, I'm completely overwhelmed with the feedback. Yeah. As always, guys, like, like Aaron said, the feedback's important, especially when you're just starting out like we are with podcasting. Hit us up on Instagram. Hit us up through uh, the podcast app. Give everyone a review. Make sure you subscribe. Let people know what you love, what you don't love, so that we can, you know, try and um, keep you guys happy because we're yeah. out there creating some awesome stories and, and we're having fun doing it. Yeah, man. we're having fun. We're having a whole lot of yeah. fun. So you can go on Aaron underscore Shanks on Instagram, um, send us a message. And yeah, if you like this podcast, just share it. I think mm. that's just the thing is it's like anything that anyone that don't just share it. Like anyone you think would enjoy it or yeah. could get a message from it, hand it to them. And yeah. I think that's, that's all you're trying to do is you're just trying to share with people what you enjoy in life like when we when we're doing something we want to enjoy we just want to connect with other people that are going to enjoy it you want to share your passion 100 percent. well guys we're having fun i hope you guys are having fun too we'll be seeing you soon when the roving mic hits the road yeah, yeah there we go you like the little outro yeah. that's the little bit oh man that I'm was good little, man i'm getting a little bit sweaty in this sun but it's kind of nice it's, I've, I've kept the flannel on the whole time i can't believe it yeah i could have been sitting here in my fucking undies to be honest i could have taken this shirt off that and i could have got, got that shirt. Shirt. that's a nice looking
Competition time, guys. Thanks to Wild Earth, we have a $600 summer adventure pack up for grabs. If you have a story or know of anyone who has a story, we want it. Go to my Instagram page, Diaries of the Wild Ones, and click the link in the bio. Or go to the competition page on wildearth.com.au slash competition to enter. It's easy, guys. Upload an audio file or type out the general gist of what story you have to come on the podcast and let me give you some adventure gear. We want the listeners to interact with us. Everyone has a story, and I would love to meet you and be able to share your story. Now, if you like this episode, please feel free to rate it on Apple Podcasts or share it on your social media or just tell your mum about it. It just helps me out so, so much. Do it like a double.